today's Bible reading is taken from Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 to 30. The parable of the talents. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey. He called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two talents, and another one talent, depending on each one's ability. Then he went on a journey. Immediately the man who had received five talents went and put them to work and earned five more. In the same way, the man with two earned two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents approached, presented five more talents, and said, Master, you gave me five talents. See, I have earned five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your, share your master's joy. The man with two talents also approached. He said, Master, you gave me two talents. See, I have earned two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The man who had received one talent also approached and said, Master, I know, I know you. You are a harsh man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid and went off and hid your talents, talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. His master replied to him, You evil, lazy servant, if you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers, and I would have received my money back with interest when I returned. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has more, who, who, for everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have more than enough. But for the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw this good-for-nothing servant into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Good morning. It's great to have you here this morning. Uh, if you're one of the many newcomers here at church, great to have you here. I think we've got our largest newcomers lunch on record this, uh, this afternoon, and uh, that's a wonderful privilege to be a part of. I don't think I'm lit up. Do you want to light me up, Andrew? Excellent. Well, uh, it's a... <laughs> Boom. Um, it's a pleasure to give this talk this morning on ancient wisdom for investment strategies to get rich and please your boss. 
one of those parables that is so easily misunderstood. It's not about investment strategies, it's about your talent. Actually, no, that word is just the Greek for talanton, which just means a weight for measuring gold. What is this parable about? (laughs) Let me tell you straight up. This is a parable about stewarding kingdom opportunities in these last days. That's it. This parable is about stewarding kingdom opportunities in these last days. And like every parable we've heard, it's been a great series, hasn't it? It it, it contains these nuggets of gold, these kind of rich encouragements, and always this kind of barb, this hook that kind of digs into us. Jesus was a master of kind of sneaking around the watchful dragon, as C.S. Lewis describes the way we engage with stories, our defenses, and he's able to kind of captivate our heart as well as deeply challenge us. Now, I'm going to walk through this ancient story. We'll zoom into the heart of what's happening in each servant, and I'm going to ask the obvious questions. What does it mean and how are we to respond? It's that simple. Uh, But rather than open up Q&A at the end of today, I thought we'd do something a little bit different. Uh, I'm going to ask us to pray together. Uh, Now, don't freak out. What what, what I'm going to suggest that we do is I'm going to create some space for reflection, uh, and and then I'm going to just ask for some input from the floor on kind of how, we, how I might craft a prayer on behalf of all of us in response to this parable. Because every parable demands a response. And I want that to be first and foremost in prayer before God. Uh, and so I'm going to ask you to offer up some reflections that I might bring that together in a prayer over us. Does that make sense? All right, so with ready hearts, let's dig in. Uh, we begin with um, the kind of, I guess that, that phrase, this is the way I'm going to sort of capture the, 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 uh, the story, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, Jesus begins this parable, uh, keep your Bibles open, either on the screen uh, or, uh, or a real Bible, imagine that. Uh, and uh, it begins with, for it is just like a man about to go on a journey. What's, what, we've started halfway through the chapter, right? If we went back to verse 1, we'd read, at that time the kingdom of heaven will be like. Uh, again, this is a parable about it, the kingdom of heaven. At that time. At what time? We'd have to go back to even chapter 24. And if we went back to 24, if you had a real Bible, you could flick back to it. Uh, and uh, verse 30 uh, it says this, um, Uh, And the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Chapter 24 is about the end times, when Jesus will return, uh, like that figure from Daniel, with great authority and power, the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. And as we kept reading through that chapter, we would come across, say, verse 44. This is why you are also to be ready, because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is faithful and wise among you? And so he begins these parables. Given that Jesus is returning, how might we live now in light of these being the last days? And so, for it is just like a man these days, about to go on a journey, he called his servants, three of them, and entrusted his possessions to them. Not just kind of gave them away, he entrusted. Jesus has entrusted us his wealth. He has given us every spiritual blessing, we are told in Ephesians 1. 
How might we respond to what he's entrusted to us? Well, for these servants, uh, they are given talents. Uh, as I said, that's not a reference to their gifts. He's not kind of like, you know, help them to be little snowflakes. Uh, he's given them like bags of gold. And uh, each talent is, is, uh, is worth, well, 20 years wages. So the guy that receives five talents has received a couple of mil, I reckon. Uh, and, and notice that he gives each servant different amounts of gold or talents uh, according to his ability. Here is a picture of a master who knows his servants. And as he goes away, he carves up his wealth and proportionally gives to each servant that he knows according to his ability. So I'm not going to give my 12-year-old my car to look after, right? I might give him something. I don't know what I'd give him, but something else, right? Uh, and so there, there is this sense of that the master knows the servants. Now, if, if I went away for a holiday, which I'm hoping to uh, over the spring break, but let's imagine it was for three months. It's not going to be three months, but imagine. Uh, and I entrusted to you the rectory. Now, it wouldn't just be me, it would be the wardens entrusting the rectory to you, right? Um, uh, what might I expect of you? Well, I'd ask you to be able to look after my dog. So you've got to, you know, roll with that. Uh, I, I want you to kind of uh, uh, look after the home. You know, we, we love our gardening, and so, you know, Keep the weeds away, um, make the veggies, you know, garden great. Uh, that's what I'd expect of you. I wouldn't have to sort of really lay all that out of you. That responsibility should be kind of obvious to you. Uh, I didn't get that when I was a kid. My parents went away for a holiday, and as I was sort of, you know, at that older teen stage, they entrusted the house to me. <laughs> Hope they're not watching. Um, one time involved smashing a light fixture and several other things, and I had to account for all of those. It got weird. Um, another time they entrusted their house to someone else from church uh, who had a big party, didn't manage the garden, and lots of their plants died. Uh, we get the idea, right? When we're entrusted with something special, we are to look after it according to their wishes in line with how they would look after it. I think that's the thing. These servants, at least two of them, understand that they are to look after what they've been given in line with the master's purposes and wishes, as though the master himself was managing the affairs. And so the three servants go about life with this wealth entrusted to them. Now, the one who had five talents of gold understood that it was a significant responsibility. As I said, it's a couple of mil, right? Uh, and went about and put that money to work. That's what the master would have done with that money. The master was wealthy, as we understand from the amount of money referenced, uh, and no doubt had, had gained that wealth through hard work. And so the first servant puts the money to work, no doubt working hard also in line with the master's purpose and vision. Now, we don't know how, we didn't get sort of details on stocks or strategies, that doesn't matter. The economic principle was well understood. Good stewardship of resources will see a return ordinarily. The one with two bags did likewise and saw a return of two more bags of gold. So both, both of these two servants have received 100% returns uh, on, on what they've been entrusted with. That's pretty good. I'd invest with those guys. Uh, we'd expect the master to appreciate this, yes? The third servant, it's always the third, isn't it? Went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. <laughs> Maybe the equivalent of, yeah, I'll look after your house, Mike. Buries the key in the front yard. Goes off, has a great time. House becomes overgrown, moldy, maybe dead fish. Doesn't go well, right? After a long time, the master of these servants returns and settles accounts. 
That is, there is an expectation that the money entrusted to them would not only be returned, but there'd be a settling of accounts, there'd be an accountability. What have you done with this money? The man who received the five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold, so five talents. See, I have gained five more. Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things, the master says. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. What wonderful words of commendation. What embrace. Surely this servant will be stoked. We love to be appreciated. I'm not talking in sort of a prideful sense, just a simple sense of when we do good work, it is very encouraging when people say, I see that nice work. This servant had understood the intent, understood the master's wishes, and being aligned with the master's purposes and able to continue the work of the master while he was gone, he is called faithful. He is called good. Well done, good and faithful servant. It's more than just being told what to do. I really want to sort of have us grasp this idea of being entrusted. You know, if, uh, if you're at work and you've been given a responsibility, your boss might not tell you every little thing you've got to do. You've been, you've been entrusted a responsibility within the vision of the organisation. And so when it comes time for annual review, they're not going to say, well done for photocopying that booklet I gave you yesterday and told you to copy page five and seven. Like, nobody says thank you, well, maybe thank you, but like, that's it, you don't get commended for that, really. Your performance review is going to look at what, what kind of resources you were able to steward, how, how you kind of enacted your responsibility, how you were able to move the, the company's vision forward, your alignment, your character. Well done, good and faithful worker. Now, when the boss is pleased, uh, there is certainly a greater sense of the, the, the vision being advanced, sharing good outcomes, maybe even a bonus, right? Maybe. Uh, when our heart is aligned with the purposes of who we work for, not only is it a joy to serve, but we, we multiply the work and we share the celebration of all involved. You can see why Jesus is using this parable, right? Right? We have been entrusted with words of life and we are being called to participate in the work of Christ. And as we do so, may the work multiply, may the fruit multiply and may we share in the celebration of Jesus himself. The second servant appears before the master similarly, with, master, with, uh, with the master's two talents of gold and now two more, also 100% return. And uh, what I love about what he receives, well, it's exactly the same, isn't it? Well done, good and faithful servant, share in your master's joy, right? And what I love about that is it's the same joy, okay? It's not just about returns and profit. Well, you didn't, you, you know, this guy got three more bags. It, it, both are commended. The master appreciates this servant also, because it's about alignment of character, of shared purpose and vision, and there is joy to be shared. The third servant 
comes before the master with one bag of gold, one talent. I guess he still returns what was the master's. You know, at least he didn't kind of just throw it in the river, right? So it can't go too badly, can it? It gets wild. And it starts with this, this crazy speech that seems a little bit reasonable, but actually exposes the significant anxiety in the situation and a recognition that things haven't gone well at all. Master, this servant says, I knew that you were a hard man. Bold start, I would say. To claim you, you know the master. I know you, master. Why would you start with that? And secondly, I know you're a hard guy. I know you work hard. I, I know you kind of drive us hard. I know that like all of this is yours. You even kind of reap where you haven't sown. Now, if... And then it goes on to say, I was afraid. And, and so I, I put the, the talent in, in the dirt. <laughs> well, he's afraid now at least as he has to give account for his actions. But if he really understood the master, if he really knew the master, and if he really was even fearful in the most positive sense, surely he would have been moved to action. Even the master knows, well, you could have put that money in the bank and even doing nothing, just shoving it in the bank would have returned some interest. Again, just drawing on kind of you know, common knowledge of the time and even today, right? But, but, but you have shoved it in the dirt. And, and it's, it's kind of lost value, right? That's what happens when you put money under your mattress. Don't do that. Put it in the bank. His actions are actually showing that, that he doesn't know the master at all. And actually, he, he's, he doesn't really even care for the master's purposes. Here, have your money back. That, that wasn't what he was entrusted with. The master knew him and, and gave him one talent to kind of have a go, as it were. And in his lack of action has shown that he has not understood the master's intent, has not carried out his responsibility, and actually is no longer able to share in the master's joy because the master sees through this silly speech straight through to his heart, you wicked and lazy servant. I mean, that sounds pretty harsh, right? But as the master says, you could have put it in the bank without even putting it to work like I'd expect anyone would be able to do, make returns. And we're going to take this money from you that I've given you and give it to the one who has actually done good with it, and you're fired. Get out. Get out of my presence. Now, put like that, it actually sounds reasonable, yeah? But what does it mean? What does this parable mean? Well, Jesus, as he often does, finishes with the barb. Verse 29, for whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside, Jesus says, into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, sort of a, a, a repetition of what's been used in parables of judgment. There's a couple of little chestnuts in there. What does it mean for that whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance? And whoever will, does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. 
Now, you can understand that given this parable sounds like use your talents, use your riches, steward things, and you'll become rich, you could imagine how people have run with this to say, you know, if you're wealthy, keep trusting in God and you'll be given even greater wealth. You have an abundance. Again, total misinterpretation. But what is Jesus saying about it? Isn't Jesus about caring for the little guy, the one who doesn't have much, to then give them an abundance? What's this idea of giving more to those who have? Well, to unlock that, we'd go back to one of the more famous parables, Matthew 13, and we looked at this parable last year in Mark's Gospel, it's Mark chapter 4 as well, and it's the parable of the sower. And in that, he says at the end of that parable, he explains why he teaches in parables, which I think we've covered a couple of times in this series. He says, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, the disciples he's talking to, but not to them, referring to the crowd. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Same language, same words. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Those seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. And he's quoting from Isaiah. God spoke these words through Isaiah also in reference to judgment over God's ancient people who had become comfortable with God, like they see Him, like they know Him, but not really. And it will be a judgment to those people who follow Jesus because He's a good teacher, because He heals people, because He he cans out free food, but do not actually see Him for who He is. Jesus says to the disciples, but blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. And the parable of the sower is about this. Don't let the worries of this world creep over you. Uh, Don't let kind of uh, Satan take away what you've been given. But if you receive the Word of God, then put it into action. Otherwise, you might become just one of those people following Jesus around but without faith, without faith in action. And you'll be judged accordingly. Because as we've heard from the parables already, Jesus will come back and return and He will divide the wheat and the weeds. And He'll bring those who trust Him to everlasting life. And to everyone else, they will be cast out to hell. Back to our parable today. People will make all kinds of claims of themselves and of Jesus. But ultimately, Jesus will see if people have put their faith in him. At the end of the parable of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, a number of people will say, Jesus, Lord, Lord, I I know you. But Jesus will reply back, I never knew you. Get out. To those who trust in Jesus, who have faithfully participated in the work of the kingdom, they will be received with joy and others will be cast out of Jesus' presence. For at that time, the kingdom of heaven is like a master who entrusted his servants with much. And in these final days before Jesus returns, he has entrusted the very gospel the very words of life to us.
And as he entrusts us with this, what are we to do? Well, as I've said, we are entrusted with the word of God, filled with his spirit. Until Christ returns, are we not a a sort of called to act in accordance with, with Jesus' character, his purposes? Will we be revealed as good and faithful? Now, at this point, this message starts to divide us. I don't know if you're already feeling kind of a sense of guilt. And I want to speak into that a little bit, right? Because it's altogether too easy for us to be down on ourselves. I mean, who's ever going to be able to say, I've done enough? Mike's not really talking to me. (laughs) Nobody. But let the Spirit speak to each of you in this matter, and that you might avoid the half-truths of Satan that deceives us. Let us understand the basics of the gospel clearly. We are saved by grace received through faith, not by works. And yet, as we trust ourselves to Jesus, that faith is not just an idea, a kind of add-on. You are saying to Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I give myself to you. I am now bound up with you. And so just as Christ did great things to the glory of the Father, especially bringing salvation to us, are we not also now participating with him through the power of his spirit given to us so that as we are entrusted with the gospel, we are now called to work joyfully as servants in the same kingdom that Jesus, our suffering servant, is king of. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I quote him occasionally, a pastor and theologian in Germany during the reign of the Nazis, saw just how rampant nominalism and nationalism was in the church, for even the German church had aligned itself with Hitler. He says this about grace. Cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. But when you've understood grace as coming from Jesus incarnate, God among us, who gave himself fully for us, it transforms us from the very inside out. Real faith works, and so we ought to expect the fruit of Christ at work in our life and in those that we serve. And it's in this way that we are able to forgive others as we have been forgiven, as Jared spoke on last week. As we are touched by grace, as we are transformed by it, do we not pay it forward, to put it simply? The grace of God transforms us, and now we have been called into His kingdom, according to His purposes, and He has given us a vision for heaven and earth. All of this He has entrusted to us and gifted us accordingly to serve. Now, let me just press into a little bit, maybe a few different kinds of people that are hearing this message. Firstly, maybe the mature Christian, someone who's followed Jesus faithfully for many years, 
but, but kind of, you know, in, in faithfulness, still hears these words harshly and thinks poorly of themselves. Think less of yourselves, brothers and sisters, and keep your eyes fixed on Christ. For any burden you feel of wanting to do more for Jesus, pray that through. Let His Spirit work in you and through you, joyfully. Do not be driven by guilt, but instead simply continue to understand what you've been entrusted with and celebrate it and share it. Secondly, there are people here, maybe watching online as well, with a, with a messy kind of faith that are still kind of working, working things out. And, and yes, they've said, I trust Jesus, but just like a newborn, like an, like an infant, a toddler, still having to be discipled. And so again, don't, don't be crushed by kind of like, I'm never going to be good enough. I'm never going to be able to turn five talents into five more. Again, don't, don't think of it in those terms. As you keep looking to Jesus and you keep trusting Him, may, may, he, may he grow you and may He work through you wonderfully. There are also people here who need to be challenged who have maybe kind of just in, in the kind of the, the desires of this world and the busyness of this world, have lost sight and focus on following Jesus. And I want you to hear this morning that you have been entrusted with the Word of God, with the Word of life. And Jesus is asking you, how are you putting that to work in your own life? and in those that you serve around you, because the time is short. And Jesus will return. Again, I don't say this to, to, to kind of drive you by guilt, but just out, out of the kind of understanding of what we have been given, and the, and the joy that we are called into to serve the Lord Jesus, who gave himself up for us. So again, I ask, what are we to do? Well... Again, it's too easy for preachers to say, well, everyone, let's go to more college and become preachers and ministers. <laughs> That's, I mean, maybe. But I, I think God's gifted each of us differently to serve in different ways. We are a body made up of many different members, gifted accordingly. And Jesus entrusts different you know, responsibilities to us in the kingdom. What, what I do want you to understand is, is, is your gifts how God has made you, what opportunities He's given before you, what your responsibility is as a Christian to live for Jesus, to understand your place of work and to, be, and to see that as a place of serving, of stewarding, of even participating in the redemptive story. So, so that is kind of a person who is a doctor doesn't just go to kind of patch up people to make a buck but it's actually part of kind of seeking to restore this world, knowing that no number of band-aids or no number of kind of stitches will ever fix it, but it's all pointing towards Jesus, who will ultimately redeem this world. I want each of you to see your work and the way that you serve and the way that you live as part of a larger calling, to seek the kingdom above all. For Jesus hasn't asked you just to kind of give a little bit of yourself to Him, but your whole self, your gifts, your talents, your time, your money. 
I think it was John Wesley that said, the last part of a man to be saved is his wallet. (laughs) As I've reflected on responding to what we've been entrusted with, I thought of a few different people that I'll share examples of without names. I could think of a person I met a number of years ago who was a partner in a prestigious law firm, very affluent, very capable. It would have been easy to have, for him to have been ruthless and living all about the money, because that's the world he lived in. But he was known as someone with extraordinary integrity, who cared for justice, and for him that flowed out of his trust in Jesus. So much so that when he finished up at that law firm, he was hired by a well-known bank to act as the customer advocate reporting to the CEO to ensure that after the Royal Commission, there was someone always fighting to protect customers against the bank's abuse. Imagine being known for integrity, rooted in your own Christian faith, that people saw you as a person of justice and also of mercy. He's now also an advisor to the bishop in Bathurst and is an extraordinarily generous uh, servant towards gospel ministry in the way that he gives his money. Now, I'm making this point here to say that it's not as simple as just going to college to act to live this out. Your work matters and the way you use your talents, your money, your life matters to God, especially in these last days. Uh, secondly, I know of many people, especially being a pastor, who have left careers to retrain as pastors, missionaries, chaplains. Just last week, I met someone who's new at church here, I don't know if they're in the crowd this morning, uh, and as we got chatting, I was, he said, were you in my lounge room 15 years ago? I was like, oh, wow. Kel and I had left, actually, when was when we were at Toongabby, we'd left um, uh, sort of uh, the, the shores of Australia for, for a few weeks to go visit um, some missionaries in Santiago, Chile, to explore what that was like. And we met this guy and his family in his unit in Santiago and just, you know, visiting church again as, a, as he's growing up. But what I remember from my time sitting in his lounge room and meeting his parents is just how much they had given up uh, to, to do the wonderful work they were doing in Santiago and training local pastors uh, to be better equipped for the gospel. And kind of some of the struggles and everyday hardships that it was, was like for them in that calling. Uh, or even, perhaps even last week, we heard Tina, who talked about how she's reapproached her work, not about finding identity, but living out her identity as a Christian. My encouragement and challenge to you this morning is to remain focused in increasing measure on Christ as you live for Him and steward every opportunity you've been given for Him in these last days before He returns. And I want you to see that, brothers and sisters, not as a burden, but as a living sacrifice of joy, because Jesus promises to give us life to the full, now and forever. Uh, Kel and I have been watching uh, Alone. I don't know if you know, the, I've, I've, there's a few fans in the audience I know. Um, the story is kind of like someone just gets dropped in the wilderness for, you know, with 10 items and they've got to, uh, you know, just fend for themselves in any way they can to survive. And the season seven, they've got to last 100 days in the Arctic. It is nuts. Uh, and uh, maybe a little spoiler alert, but um, there is one guy who makes the distance and, and, and he loses a bit of his weight a bit of his mind, to be honest. Uh, but as, as he finishes up, he, he realizes this is kind of his epiphany 
that, that kind of, he's been living life, he's kind of, you know, for himself alone, uh, and that he's actually held his family at arm's length. His own mother died just before he had, uh, had, had gone on this adventure. And uh, as his, I think it's his sister who hugs him at the very end, uh, and they embrace, he confesses that, like, I, I need, I need I've, I've not prioritised things properly, and, and, I, and I want to reconnect. Each of us will have moments where we kind of just have epiphanies, new revelations, as it were, of the same Lord Jesus, but reminding us to focus on Him above all. In what ways might you have got distracted? In what ways can you be encouraged and encouraging that together we might steward every opportunity for the Kingdom? And the burden and the opportunity is extraordinary. This is a little snapshot from, uh, from that black poster at the back as we seek to connect, care, communicate and see people commit to Jesus. And with that is a website, Share Jesus, uh, tac.church slash Share Jesus. And you can see here just how many people are in our community who don't know Jesus, who come from other faith backgrounds. To cross that chasm, even in our own mind, seems extraordinary. But this is spiritual work that we're participating in. I can't make people Christian. I can't just wield my gifts and make things happen. But as I use my whole self for Jesus' glory, may He do a work in us together that we might see the Lord Jesus glorified amongst many, many people who gather here and in other churches around this area, who don't yet know Jesus, but will one day glorify Him. And in just over a couple of months' time, we have uh, Vision Month, uh, and I don't want it to be like, you know, when I listen to sort of Hope 103.2 occasionally, it gets to June and they start talking about Giving Month and I just switch channels. Um, sorry. Sorry, Hope, they're listening. Um, I, I want Vision Month to be a moment where, where together we, we actually focus on Jesus. Uh, the theme of this Vision Month will simply be to the glory of God, because everything we are on about here is to the glory of God. And, and as we ask people to, to pledge money, and as we ask people to consider how they might serve in this church, that's not using this to guilt you into it, but it is actually coming just from a simple expectation that we are all called to lay down our lives for Jesus. Our, 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 our wallets, our time, our gifts. And as we do that together, what might God do among us? It's wonderful to think, isn't it? Because He's already doing so much. Brothers and sisters... What a joy it is to take our whole lives and live them for Jesus and to steward every opportunity for His sake. Let me finish with these words from Jude. Dear friends, contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. And as you build yourselves up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting expectantly for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. Now to Him, who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of His glory, without blemish and with great joy, to the only God our Saviour, 
through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, power and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen.